0: Welcome to Taiwan War 23 on the Fantasy of Deer Warrior and Double Vision. Once upon a time, there was a big forest. And in it sat two podcasters. One found a movie about a fairy tale of deers fighting wolves and exotic dancing. And one found a movie where West meets East mixed with a serial killer plotting. And the storytelling time doesn't get any better than that because I'm not a writer at all. So that's it. <laughs> Let's clarify. <laughs> They're far apart in genre and production here, these two movies, but uh, Taiwan War takes a look at specifically 1961's The Fantasy of Dear Warrior, and in the second half we look at director Chen Kuo-Fu's Double Vision starring Tony Lung and David Morse. So we're not dealing with, you know, in terms of the East meets West, we're not dealing with another rush hour here or anything. This is... Uh, a proper movie where West meets East. I'm very, I'm, I'm very specific about that, and uh, we'll, we'll clarify that in the second half. But I'm here to talk of all of that. I'm Ken B, by the way, and I'm here to talk of all of that with my good friend, Todd Stattman. Say hi, buddy.
1: Hello, everybody. Um, Ken, I've got to say that this is one of your more uh, interesting, maybe even inspired pairings, these two movies, because when I saw these were the movies you chose, and I was like, Really?
0: Well, well, one comes from you. It's b- both Right, you mentioned it, and at the same time you did, I think we had a listener request. Well, you had someone email your blog about this as oh, yeah. some- something for the podcast. And I take listener requests pretty seriously because this is a niche show, so I don't expect any uh, any like floods of emails uh, coming in about, uh, oh, cover this movie, cover that movie. So, And I've never heard of the movie, and there's enough context, as it turns out, to... Um, to give you before we even do our review so consider it done and i sort of pick randomly sometimes so oh, what about double vision i like that movie when i saw it back in the day that's it that's it but it's not more complex than that my my creative oh, process
1: <laughs> that's fine and that is just fine no judgments here no absolutely
0: not uh, i could have paired up magic of spell with uh holy hell like if we were into our task, i could have uh, combined that with assassin you know, if I were, it would have just been fine for me.
1: Yeah, or, yeah, or, um. Magic Dwarf with Men Behind the Sun, for instance.
0: For, yep, yeah, I have no problem with <laughs> uh, with uh, g- um, pairing up contrasts. Uh, so uh, that, that's what we did. But uh, it's um, valid Taiwanese cinema anyway to cover. We'll get into it after some quick contact information. This is Taiwan War on the Podcast on Fire network. We are located on podcastonfire.com. This show covers Taiwanese movies, but we have other shows covering Hong Kong, Japanese, Korean. We do audio commentaries every now and again. We cover ninja movies as well. And uh, Sleazy films as well as uh, producing bonus episodes for the website every now and again email us if you have any questions feedback suggestions uh, about uh, any show including this one podcast on fire at google we have colorful buttons for uh, old stupid people like me at the top of our website that leads <laughs> you to colorful colorful button i know where it leads me because i recognize the logo i bought into the corpor- corporate corporate uh, vibe of it all
1: <laughs> which one do you push to get a banana <laughs> Exactly. Uh, So click Facebook and see what happens. Well,
0: you'll get to our page. Uh, And uh, once you're there, leave a like in support. Uh, Find our Facebook group on Facebook as well, where you can find uh, show updates and uh, movie chat and what have you. Uh, There's a link to our Twitter account on our our website uh, as well as to our iTunes feed. So if you're an iTunes user, please subscribe, leave a rating, and even a comment if you want to say something about taiwan War or any other show on the network and finally click the stitcher radio button that will lead you to their web presence and our shows are available to stream over there but they have applications to do that very thing available on the apple app store and google play and i cover taiwanese movies among other things on sogoodreviews.com i do basic spoken audio video reviews on sleazykvideo.com and my twitter handle is at sogoodreviews producing and plugging machine and all-around creative-inspired creator. You really are. Todd, you have stuff to plug.
1: Just the usual. I mean, um... I've been pretty busy over at 40k. I think after sort of a lazy period, I've, I've re energized. So I've been doing a lot of writing both for 40k and teleport city. Um, so you can uh, check that's my blog. It's die danger die die kill dot blogspot dot com. Head over there and in the right hand sidebar, you'll see links to my facebook page uh you'll see a link to where you can buy my book funky bollywood which was published by fab press last year uh my twitter account all that links to pop offensive which is the radio show i do uh another link which will uh dispense some checks mix if you're hungry um (laughs) isn't technology wonderful people (laughs) I don't really have anything going at Well the well,
0: well let me let, let us do some cross promotion. I do a show over at the network called the Golden Ninja Podcast uh, my co-host is Ed Glazer and I saw your sweet little name pop up on one of his episodes of Deja View, the Mexican Batwoman oh, episode. Yes. A little special thanks for to Todd Statmas, I assume you helped out with research.
1: I did help a little bit. I didn't. It was mostly him. I just I supplied them with some material I had. I haven't read that yet. I want to read that. Well It's a good. Uh, it was a
0: good uh, show. Uh, he always does a written piece, a transcript, and then a the five-minute uh, video piece. But it also looked like good, good Mexican fun.
1: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: Reviewed it once upon a time on your website. Mexican Batwoman or...
1: Oh, I sure did. When I started out, I started out with a site called The Lucha Diaries, which was basically capsule reviews of every single Mexican wrestling movie ever made. And that was on there. And I think I did a longer review of it for my blog later. It's a favorite, definitely. I mean... How can you go wrong with, uh, it's basically like Batgirl, except her costume is a bikini. She's not wearing a bodysuit. She's basically wearing, it's mostly just skin. So <laughs> groovy. Yeah. Groovy. But I, I did forget to mention that I just got, I went to fantastic fest for the first time this year. And, and that was, uh, really fun. And it was nice to meet all the people, Irvin. All all the people, I'm not, or Ephraim, I'm sorry. I shouldn't try to mention names. But uh, all the people there were fabulous. I got to do a book signing for some contest winners who, who won copies of Funky Bollywood. And I saw some really good films. I saw Park Chan-wook's new movie, The Handmaiden, which was amazing. And uh, I saw a Thai movie called The Dwarves Must Be Crazy, which was about a village of dwarves fighting uh crassu demons which was which was pretty crazy
0: like uh floating heads kind of thing yeah with
1: the, with the guts hanging out of them yeah and it was a lot and it had and it had a lot of fart farting and pee humor in it which were which we're veterans of so stole it from taiwan God damn yes <laughs> and i i saw a handful of good to interesting movies ate a lot of good food sweltered in the Texas heat it was a, it was a great time so i'd like to thank everybody there for showing me such a good time
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, let's uh, try and have a good time on the podcast, though. Even though it won't match that, but uh, let's give you some rundown first of what's to come before Todd takes over for a little bit here. There is some background to each film to be talked of, so I thought I'd give you a heads up about what is uh, coming up. Uh, Timestamps will be provided in the show post, so uh, you can uh, access uh, the review easily if you want to jump ahead to that, etc. But we start off first of all with the fantasy of dear warrior section, and Todd opens it up with some personal notes on the film and the production background and that is then followed by our main review and discussion of the film. There will be a break after that and then we talk some basic production background for Double Vision as well and then we conclude it all with uh, our review and discussion of the 2002 uh, And maybe
1: a musical number Maybe so, maybe so yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, okay, buddy. You have the fantasy of Deer warrior section all to yourself almost uh, although I will chime in when it's review time, so. What is it about, first of all?
1: When a brave warrior's family is murdered by the evil wolf clan, he swears revenge, assembling a ragtag team of fighters to aid him. Meanwhile, the wolf clan ravages the countryside, preying upon the weak and the innocent. I think I've seen this movie. I, right. I yeah, know I've so, seen this movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, if that basically sounds like every the plot of every martial arts revenge movie you've ever seen... It is, um, only keep in mind that in the fantasy of deer warrior, this is all being acted out by a- actors in animal costumes. For instance, the warrior I mentioned is the deer warrior of the title, and he is a man, uh, dressed in, you know, with antlers and everything. The, the leader of the wolf clan, evil wolf is a wolf. Um and then there's all kinds of it's a very uh diverse forest these uh animals live in because there's monkeys, there's there's like dairy animals along with jungle animals. There's monkeys, cows, goats, sheep, uh deer, an ox, yes, and of course wolves. There's a fox, one fox erotic fox nonetheless. Erotic fox. So the fact that there's only one fox is surprising in that she hasn't managed to reproduce yet. But now, can you mention that this was based on an actual fairy tale?
0: Yeah, through research that I couldn't really conduct because it was in Chinese, I want to give a sh- shout-out to a friend of the network, Sylvia Aroran, for, for digging up uh, like this nugget that it is based on a fairy tale. Didn't get a name, granted, because there's not a ton of information out there, but th- that's the basic uh, nature of it all, and it looks and feels like it's four children, so... It's not far fetched that it was based on a fairy tale.
1: It feels almost like sort of a a fairy tale pastiche because there's so many elements. I mean, that there's definitely elements of the Three Little Pigs with the big bad wolf and all that, and there's like a la- a romance aspect to it too. Very like a lot of Asian fantasy films. It definitely looks and feels like a children's movie for the most part. But then there's like, as I said in my review, it contains elements that would trigger Senate hearings here in the U.S. if shown to children. I mean, I guess I'm thinking mainly of erotic fox who has a more abbreviated animal costume than the rest. Yeah,
0: you know, speaking of Mexican Batwoman, it's a sort of similar thing to that. There's a lot of skin showing.
1: She's a very sexualized character. And in fact, when she's introduced, there's like the wham, wham, wham you know, this kind of stripper music <laughs> playing. And uh, and uh, and at one point, uh, and she's sort of the bringer of chaos. She's an agent of chaos. She just likes to cause trouble in the forest. And one of the characters describes her as having a dirty smell. Jesus. <laughs> and uh, and she also does a, a hoochie-coochie dance, to tequila at one point in the movie which is a rare instance of there being you know most of the music is uh needle drops from different very recognizable not not rec- recognizable that's a good one rec- recognizable classical pieces mm-hmm. but so hearing the champs tequila all of a sudden on the soundtrack was a little jarring i i'm not sure about the language because i the first time i saw this there was an instance of someone using the F-word in the subtitles, and I don't know if that was just an overzealous translation or what, but I didn't see that in the version I saw.
0: I think it comes from the fan subtitlers, who did a marvelous job, mind you, but I don't think fuck was necessarily in there, even though it uh, it has the elements, as you said, that,
1: that are a bit more adult but uh and there's some pretty intense violence especially at the end as it is in many ways it's a not really a martial arts film but there's a lot of fighting in the movie i'll say also that the animal costumes these aren't like anthropomorphized animals they're more i mean the the animals are clearly humans in fuzzy costumes with their faces exposed, um, and when they fight, they fight with weapons. So these aren't really anthropomorphized animals; these are these are humans, play, you know, very obviously playing animals. And the movie is very low budget, pretty obviously so. Uh, I'm going to quote my review again, because I think it captures the production values. I said, where some films have a host of international locations and a lavish effects budget, the fantasy of Deer Warrior has a forest and some animal costumes that look as if they were fashioned from footy pajamas. And since writing that, I've learned, thanks to your research that the film was shot entirely in Taipei's Beito district over the course of one month and for a cost of 40000 Taiwanese dollars, which I don't know what that would be in American dollars or whatever. It's certainly I,
0: not a $100
1: million budgeted film. <laughs> so it, it, It's no Titanic. What a pull. Yeah. <laughs> From what I'd heard, there are musical numbers in it. From what I'd heard about it before I saw it, I mean, I should mention that this... This film was was thought lost for a very long time, and it became a focus of geek obsession thanks to bloggers like my pal Tars Tarkas posting stills and lobby cards uh, from it. Uh, so you know, this was something that was like it was definitely something I was looking for for a long time, and then uh, print was discovered in the early two thousands. It was screened. At the 2007 Taiwanese Film Festival, and in the years since, since it's been restored and was shown in a respective of, a retrospective, of I'm still waking up here. It's sad of classic Taiwanese films at the Chinese Film Center in China.
0: And 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 if I could just chime in, I, I'm going to try and look up the clip I saw from the um, restored version because uh, the company behind it, I've a dis- the distributors, the festival, or the actual company that uh, restored it posted a clip from uh, on YouTube. And it's a nice cleanup. I mean, our version doesn't look shoddy, but it is uh, not a fully cleaned-up print or anything. It's not from an original, it's from a dupe or a dupe of a dupe or whatever. But the restored version looks to have been uh, faithfully restored. And uh, it's nice to hear that um, there's some care to a point where they are going to put in money for a Restoration. You know, it's not its not the Touch of Zen uh, status, uh, this one, uh, and it doesn't really deserve a, a, like a king who sort of this is leg- as legendary as Dragon Inn and Touch of Zen, but <laughs> I love that they did, uh, they bring out this, brought out this kooky little movie. Hopefully it will find a distributor in the future.
1: Yeah, it's a, I'll say it's a pre- I always give a movie's points for just for being different from anything I've ever seen, and this qualifies as that. It's pretty unique, especially for its time and coming out of uh, Taiwan. You know, I don't know if there were other films being made like this. Maybe it was part of, like, some kind of brief obsession (laughs) with animal-themed movies, but... um,
0: Yeah, who knows? I mean, it's the first I've seen of this kind, Um, and if there was a push... To produce these kind of uh, movies uh, looking like this in this kind of genre is not something that surfaced in modern times, uh, at any rate. Uh, so,
1: it almost seems like there are certain Disney esque elements of it. It almost seems like an effort to sort of capture the Di- the feel of Disney movies in a in a Taiwanese product. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not a big Disney fan. So. It, it,
0: it's sort of like to to a point, and then. They brought out the, the sort of erotic tones and the violence, <laughs> so, right? Yes, so yes. that's what we bring because we are hardcore here in Taiwan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's very cool.
0: Well, well, well. Um, I'll I'll give you my brief opinion, and uh, my my views come from a variety of eyes watching the film doesn't mean i had a viewing party but i used a variety of different eyes of mine looking at the film because i found it fairly charming based on the context of it all that we just talked about it's a children's movie with actors as animals as you said a cult favorite in some circles a novelty at least in terms of my experience with taiwanese cinema i've not seen anything really akin to that to this so i was fairly on board throughout. Movie arguably is a bit disposable and slow, production is pretty bare, but the setup, uh, the character context, uh, you know, again, these being actors as animals, this being a fairy tale and all, the elements are there and positive enough for me to get through it fairly easily, but it's not a hidden classic and you can probably pick it apart fairly easy, but being a cult movie fan, uh yeah absolutely and uh, i i like that it sort of uh, that it dips into adult territory and dark territory when it really shouldn't but i like that they had their sort of cojones to uh
1: to do it without spoiling it i'll say the ending i thought especially had like was very sub shocking almost you know the movie went very emo on us <laughs> yeah it did yeah it did it did um i also like that you know, there are some recognizable actors in this, which makes it, you know, I'm I'm grateful that the the costumes don't cover their faces because the Deer Warrior, for instance, is played by Ling Young, who was a Shaw Brothers player.
0: He became one. This is like his second or third credit. Right, in total. this would
1: be before that. And he was an actor with a very you know, sort of grim demeanor. So it's fun to see him, you know, wearing like sort of floppy antlers on his head and like little, the fur collar, but still playing that, you know, the, the, the hard hero, you know, the vengeance driven hero um, with, you know, always always scowling, you know. <laughs> so the, the other people like Lee Min Lang, I think Li Min Lang plays the evil wolf, not so familiar with him. But he does a ju- good job. A lot of mugging. He's sort of obscured, though. You never really yeah. see his face,
0: so that's uh, you have to rely on rely on um, on, on online uh, cost lists uh, for that. Uh, definitely, I, I I mentioned all of that. Like looking at it from a different uh, different perspectives as a movie fan, someone who wants to know movie history to a degree, and does that get you through the movie? As like, I I like the context of this. It's kind of kooky and goofy. Or does the movie quality? itself go down for you throughout so you're like you're not on board with it throughout or is it through and through like an entertaining product for you plus all those cultish context facts added to it
1: yeah that's a good point i don't know if i've really unpacked that yet but i mean i did find it entertaining in fact i found it when i watched it last night I mean, the first time I watched it was probably a couple of years ago. And I enjoyed it more than I remembered enjoying it the first time. Uh, Maybe because I knew what was coming. Kill, 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 kill. I mean, I do think there is, you know, because it's coming from... I mean, this movie was made the year that I was born. Mm -hmm. So it comes... It, you know, it's definitely has that patina of age and that sense of coming from a very different time. Um, so that always adds a little mystique to a movie for me, especially one as you know, obscure or obscure in its aims as this one. I mean. I know I'm uh, humming and ha- hawing a lot here. I mean, I, I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll split the difference. I mean, I'll definitely say the context made it interesting for me, but also the content, you know, it's, it's brisk and breezy. There's a lot of fights and a lot of action and a lot of kind of campy over the top. I mean, there's a central love triangle. Which I didn't remember. I think I sort of just mentioned erotic fox in passing in my review, but I forgot what a huge part she played in the movie. And she's like, she's like the classic femme fatale and she seems to just insert herself. Into any situation and ally with anybody who's going to create the most trouble, you know, for the the happy. <laughs> I don't know. They didn't really give a name to the deer clan because there's all these little monkeys and rabbits and little kids.
0: Well, well, if wolf clan is wolf clan, then deer clan is deer clan to me. So, so yeah. But but you know, it, children's entertainment it, it surely is. Uh, so costume acting. Sort of may look daft to our adult eyes, but uh, you know it, it's it opens up with with a uh, children children having a funny dance, you know uh, da- dancing in a ring and all of that. And the movie is often running quickly, like the quick fret of the wolves. You know, you hear the howls, which is in reality really sirens. It's not really howls. It's <laughs> And, and they even attempt uh, some special effects here. And then, fair enough, for 1961, the, the little kid, who's supposed to be a bird, I guess, they do a little wire lift and then there's a separate effects shot for the floating and uh, waving, uh, you know, waving uh, the, uh, in the air and all of that. And that, that's all fine for 1961. So good on them for attempting some stuff there. Mind you, he's uh, floating on a dark background rather than um, day- daytime as the shot uh, starts. But I'll, I'll give it the points for that because it's, it's one of the oldest Taiwanese movies I've watched, and special effects I don't expect um, to be very good until like a decade, decade or so later.
1: Yeah, it's those kind of do- dodgy optical sh- shots where the person is, who's supposed to be flying is kind of see-through against the backdrop, which does make it, I think, a lot more even more charming. And just these little kids in bird costumes, they look like they're in a first-grade play, yeah. which, you know... <laughs> It's adorable, and <laughs> and I will say at that opening, I think what those bunnies and and sheep and lambs are doing is is technically referred to as frolicking. I think that that is like the the Wikipedia definition of frolicking right there. And yeah, and then the wolves come in, and it's very intense when the wolves attack them.
0: Yeah, they got clubs and shit, and they're ready to essentially beat. Beat them, it looks like they're, they're not out there to eat like, like, eat their fruits and stuff. They got spike clubs, but but you have to communicate that as filmmakers. Like, if you can't do like sna- like snap after them, you know, bring something, bring a spike club that will look like visually intense enough, I suppose, for the kiddies. And it's, I'm sure some kids were scared by that.
1: Yeah, I imagine it's, yeah, it's very, it's like they're like big caveman clubs with nails coming out of them. They obviously can do a lot of damage. They eat. They don't show them eating the the bunnies and and the little you know fauna of the forest, but it's definitely implied. And there's one scene in particular of uh, he's killing uh the wolf. The evil wolf is killing a rabbit and eating him, and that's you know it's not graphic, but it's definitely implied. And it all
0: fits the fairy tale feel and the content. None of this stuff yeah. is. Uh, widely foreign to us if if it was a local fairytale it certainly wasn't written in a way where you have to be uh, you know if, watch it from in you know from the inside you have you you don't it's very ex- external even references other works as you said so it's very approachable i quite like that and it's very risque too which i you know the the the, the filthy man in me like that! Right. Uh, oh my God, this, this is gonna be risque! There's an erotic dance here going
1: yeah. on, and she's
0: called Erotic Fox. At least as translated to us.
1: And she wears a naughty pair of cat's eye glasses. But, but, but
0: the whole, the whole, the whole notion of foxes in in Hong Kong and Taiwanese cinema throughout the decades that's always been o- often the thing. You know, fox spirits. They're mi-
1: are they mischief makers? Is that?
0: Yeah, they're they're seductive. At least fox spirits are usually seductive, and uh, so you you got that all throughout. The even post Chinese ghost story, you got movies. Uh, I, I, she wasn't a fox, I believe, but they, there's always been that notion of uh, cunning spirits, and in this case, it's a cunning animal, uh, you know, in the flesh and all of that. So all of that is very approachable. Do you do you think the crude nature of it, in terms of how it's shot and filmed, does that um, detract from anything uh, for you, in terms of how it's filmed and? Uh put together
1: i guess it it depends on what you come to it expecting for me it didn't i mean for me it added a little extra charm you know because it seems a little amateurish a little hokey
0: i i I, I sort of agree because i i I overcame that quite easily because the movie i I said it's slow but that doesn't mean it isn't story focused because i think it is it's a it doesn't stop for um, more than one or two little dance and song numbers so it's not this full-on like f- f- filler fest of stuff because we can't uh, write anything else you know?
1: well i did want to mention one thing is that i mean i think one way it doesn't really uh, seem like a typical fairy tale is there's not really a moral to it except that there are two little vignettes that take place within the film reenacting different Aesop's fables. One is The Tortoise and the Hare, which is just out of nowhere. Yep. They just, like, act act out The Tortoise and the Hare. And it's interesting because the whole cast is, like, watching this <laughs> be played out. And it's like they just stop in the middle of the action. Hey, there's
0: entertainment in the forest, kids. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, and they're all like, yay! They're clapping afterwards. And the other one is uh, The Boy Who Cried Wolf, which is actually played out within the plot there's one character a a little lamb who is put on watch and he for some reason he screams that he's supposed to warn them about a wolf and for some reason he does it when there's no wolf and so when the wolf comes and attacks him and eats him no one comes to his aid because he's the he's the lamb who cried wolf so that was that was an interesting thing maybe that was An indication that I mean it's a pretty short film, so maybe the filmmakers thought they needed to pad it out a little bit. But it doesn't, yeah. Like unlike some films, you know, it's not plagued by padding. As far as its cheapness, I mean, I think because there's an innocent, there's a good naturedness to it, and an innocence, its cheapness. You know, if it, like with a sleazy film or an exploitation film, cheapness can lend an air of tawdriness to it, you know, but this it's, it, it, it's so innocent that, uh, Low budget quality just adds to the sort of naive feeling of yeah, it,
0: yeah, yeah, I agree. It never really detracted for me i mean it it's a pace you're not necessarily used to as a modern viewer, i suppose so uh, i I reacted a little to that, but as I said it's story focused and in terms of costumes, I mean you can laugh at the cheapness of it, but you you get into it, and I actually do like um the look of uncle goat which is not an <laughs> inspired look but it fits uh-huh. the damn movie because the actor is an elder actor that they put uh, a white goatee on and he also has this staff with uh goat uh i don't know if they're called antlers but uh, that's uh that's what's on the staff what's on the staff and it's sort of reminded me of that's how fantasy cinema is going to sort of feel like in the future uh it's mm. uh it, it i like the uh, very much the look of uncle goat and it fits it's good that they subtitle it as that because um again i'm super stupid so uh, <laughs> r- rather than having chinese names for everyone right so uncle goat and dear uncle warrior Go. and uh dear dear woman
1: <laughs> right miss <laughs> so, dear, dear there's, there's- there's Uncle Deer, and then, yeah, there's a lot of different deer people, and then just Evil Wolf. I also like the look of Evil Wolf. He had that snout that opened and closed. I don't know if, what was operating it, but even there's, it got especially creepy because there's a point in the movie where I think, um, evil wolf has been separated from his clan and he's on the run and then he he hooks up well maybe hooks up not it's not the right word he meets up with erotic fox and she's her seeing an opportunity to create more trouble for the deer clan she agrees to help him and help him find food at that, this point he's starving and his his jaws are working like in this kind of chewing motion is and that's kind of kind of unsettling but i liked it some of the dialogue i I
0: found rather interesting because they talk of at one point that someone wants to kill themselves for for whatever reason and and he says and the dialogue says that's what humans do That, that that's the weakness of them but we're animals we're different we don't we don't kill ourselves, and I thought that was a wonderful, like, expressed angle that I've never even would have thought of existing within this movie. That, yeah, that is super duper interesting. Like uh, differentiating themselves between humans and animals, and actually having sort of an existential uh, little dialogue, uh, little dialogue uh, about it. So.
1: Yeah, and it was all it, yeah, because it was interesting to have the villain of a movie like this which you expect to be broken down into pure good versus evil. But the villain, he becomes really pathetic for a part of the movie, and it's almost you feel bad for him. But they're, they're definitely trying to elicit empathy for the wolf and having him say, you know, my life is so horrible, I just want to die.
0: Like, Mommy, what suicide? Like, the thank you, filmmakers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. And there's even an effing rape attempt in the movie, really. Oh, my God. Yes, there sure is.
0: I mean, it's a rape rape and strangle attempt. And that threw me because now I think they're... I mean, I I don't really care because I can take it. But are you really being responsible uh, filmmakers of children's entertainment? Because in fairy tales, people are kidnapped, usually.
1: Well, she is kidnapped and then... That character Sika Deer, who is Warrior Deer's rival for the affections of Miss Deer, who I don't think I wrote down who she was played by. She won an award for her part in that. Really? Uh, yeah. It was in. I, I don't know where I read that. I thought that was in the uh, the research material you provided. But uh, yeah, but yeah, he he tries to rape her and. Uh, I don't know what else to say about that. There it is.
0: I, I certainly don't laugh at that. I mean, I, I know what they they were aiming for—peril, uh, uh, right? But I'm not sure you needed uh, you needed that, though.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the thing is, one thing is that I don't think that in Asian culture, childhood is is as sentimentalized as it is in the West. So I think there's a sense, more of a sense, that life is hard and you should instill a sense of that in your in your children, you know, than here. I don't think you'd have, like, well, I guess there's the idea of the tiger mom, but that's very different from uh, helicopter parenting, where a parent just tries to protect their child from any kind of rough edges that life might present.
0: It's certainly, but being an early 60s movie, it can't dazzle in terms of action, as you hinted at. There's a lot of... Sort of wrestling, and they put their deer yes. antlers against each other, I suppose. Yes, but it's all part of a decently, you know, paced movie anyway, and uh, it has that plot drive that is more than sufficient. You know, there's victims, there's bloody revenge desire, and because the momentum is there in a fairly good way, I, I certainly didn't think anything was pathetic. Uh, and uh, I don't know images of them as animals plus weapons is a decently cool image. You know, Ling Yun is, you know, very stoic and brooding hero. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't
0: smile in this damn movie. And I'm sure during his Shaw Brothers days, I, I I can't name two or three movies he was in because I think he was a working stiff over there
1: and did tons of movies. He was in a lot of uh, Shaw Yun's movies, uh, but never as the star.
0: A really bad uh, bad guy, uh, a bad guy look. And he's he's got a great look, I think, for an early movie. I can already see signs of he's going to be able to provide presence. He's going to be able to look striking because his looks are very distinctive. Um, even in a Deer Warriors costume, I couldn't could extract that.
1: Yeah, he definitely has charisma. He's also in a, a, a Shaw Brothers movie that I love called King Drummer. Where he plays like a rock and roll movie, where he plays like the greatest drummer in Hong Kong, and some other some other drummer from some other group challenges him. So there's like this nas- nationally televised comp- drumming
0: competition. Oh, that's awesome! I, I loved when Shaw Brothers went modern because often they did like "You've Gone Astray" type of uh, right. melodramas, but
1: oh, those movies are so good! Yeah, uh, th- yeah, you should see King Drummer.
0: You know what the most charming thing is about Shaw Brothers making youth dramas? They often cause the damn adults all the time. Like, so you got David Chang and T Long and Chen <laughs> Tai, right. mid twenties by that point, maybe older, playing youths. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my final uh, two. Well, my final note is: uh, I think my favorite scene in the movie. At one point. Uh, Miss Deer is uh you know she's kidnapped by uh evil wolf and uh, he wants to eat her. But she has helped him. So she's she argues aug- she that why would you eat me if I helped you? She's she got a little bit of stay of execution, I uh, suppose, uh, so she can ask a tree what it thinks of this predicament. Yes. He she also asks an ox if this thinking is rational. And I adore the crap out of that because I did not expect them to venture into that fantasy territory. But of course they can because it's a fairy tale. So of course trees are gonna weigh in. And of course an ox is gonna weigh in as well.
1: Well yeah, I think the idea was that she needed to get the opinion of three elders. So of course she turned to a tree because a tree is like hundreds of years old. So... Yeah, that I, I love that sequence too.
0: That's the end of my notes, uh, other than that uh, primal ending, as you said. Like, shit gets real. Have fun going home, kids.
1: Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, and that's like the ending. It's one of those endings where it's like, it's one of those great like Shaw Brothers ending where it's like bang! The revenge
0: end. gets uh, you know, uh, revenge equals death and uh, that's that's uh, what's in the air. They don't become friends at the end, all of these characters. <laughs> no, not at all. I like I liked it though. I mean, I I like talking about it, and I liked it as an experience. Will I go back to it multiple times? Well, eventually, I guess. But uh, I, yeah. I I I like that this is now in my library of uh, of uh, what Taiwanese cinema also did. It, it wasn't just like martial arts and soul play over and over and over again, and uh, fantasy as the seventies entered, and more fantasy as the eighties entered. It had a little fantasy attempt, um, or maybe multiple ones. So we don't know. At this point in time, and I, it's not a classic, but I, I, I adore it to a fair degree.
1: I would recommend this movie to anyone who's curious about world cinema, and I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you are, and also if you're a fan of of Taiwan cinema, I think it'll round out your perspective on Thai, Taiwanese cinema. Yeah, I mean, this is the second time I've watched it. I I enjoyed it very very much your mileage may differ as i usually say but you know it's a definitely an unusual film you know and also if you're one of those people who like just likes to you know be like well what the fuck did i just want you know is like into that kind of stuff that it'll serve that purpose too but i think that would be a shame because it's a pretty you know it's a pretty well-intentioned little movie so to subject it to that kind of snark is not
0: riffing on movies is something I'm really into, you know, and you need to be a damn good improviser if you're gonna riff on that stuff, you know, I like MST3K, not all the time though, and that's, so, that's a supposed bar for everything, so... Yeah, uh, But okay, as for availability it was released on DVD by Hoker Records, uh, sans English subtitles, though so, this must be out of print because I couldn't even find a Yes Asia listing, uh, at least in English. Um, I, I, I didn't type in the Chinese title, but what we watched at any rate was a copy of this uh, version of the film, of the discovered print, that's in d- decent condition uh, d- there's a section or two towards the end where it looks like it nearly broke Uh, Going through the machine, like the entire screen goes all uh, spotty and you lose sound for a couple of seconds, but otherwise it looked pretty clear and we had uh, the pleasure of watching it with English subtitles added by fans over there, willing to share their work, so thank you very much for that. Yeah. And as I said, hopefully, interest is great enough to warrant a Blu-ray release of the restored version sometime in the future. Because it's it's now out there, and um, hopefully they uh, will uh, do their own English translation or uh, or uh, still the already free uh, free available <laughs> tr- uh, translation, which is not theft. They, they've shared it with the world. These people, maybe uh, they'll uh, remove the word "fuck" from the subtitles, but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise maybe. it seemed uh, it, it seemed uh, accurate to my. Yeah, uh all righty, buddy. Let's uh, change tack almost completely. Fast forward to 2002, Double Vision. Now things get... Anything would be different than Fantasy of Dear Warrior. So, So yes, Double Vision from 2002. It will be different and we'll talk of it after the break. And welcome back in the second movie. Up for review is Double Vision from 2002 and plot from iTunes. Uh, Trouble Detective Huang Ho Tu, played by Tony Leung Fai, relegated to the do-nothing job of foreign affairs officer for the Taipei police force, has alienated his fellow cops and his wife, played by Renee Liu, is leaving him. But then three grisly murders shake up the department. The coroner finds a mysterious black fungus in the victims' brains, along with evidence that they all had died in a hallucinatory state. The high command calls in FBI expert Kevin Richter, played by David Morse, who teams with Huang. They soon find a pattern to the murders in an ancient Taoist uh, diagram. Huang senses a supernatural force at play, an idea that the pragmatic Richter refuses to entertain. Are they looking for a cunning killer or an angry spirit? Some background. Uh, This movie, along with a few other ones, was part of a push by Columbia Pictures Asia to produce for the Asian market, like big proper movies for the Asian market, Uh, probably due to the fact that Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was such a success all over the world, including in Asia, they felt confident to put money into other kinds of products, not the same kind of products they didn't produce. Let's make Cracking Tiger, Hidden Dragon, 2, 3, 4, 5, (laughs) 6.
1: Which might have worked out better for them, because that whole push didn't work out quite as well. No, they weren't,
0: uh, as I explained, they weren't commercial spectacles. Uh, I saw it as a good thing, because we got uh, films and filmmakers making movies on their own terms whether yes. in China, whether in Hong Kong, whether in Taiwan, as we'll get to. And some examples of uh, movies that came out of this corporation, uh, there are a wide variety of genres. Uh, so Close by Corey Yun, an action movie with Shu uh, Qi and Chau Wei and Karen Mock, uh, the mainland epic uh, Warriors of Heaven and Earth, the rather bleak uh, movie about poachers in Tibet called Kekeshili Mountain Patrol, which is a Great movie from the director of uh, City of Life and Death. Quite like that movie. But also some of these movies the, within this corporation included partly an American cast uh, such as the mainland movie Big Shot's Funeral which co-starred Donald Sutherland. And uh, it was directed by Feng Xiaogang, famous uh, filmmaker Feng Xiaogang. And it was described as in reviews as his reflection on movies, spectacle the power of advertising and how perception becomes reality. So I'm getting back to my point here that these weren't commercial spectacles that Columbia Pictures wanted to produce. They wanted to produce a variety of genres, but they also wanted to give filmmakers freedom. So close, Corey movie, they gave him freedom to do a big old action spectacle, and, you know shot his way. And as much action as he wanted, you know, rather than mm. a, a restricted sort of like, you can only have five minutes of action towards the end, buddy. So we didn't get like a, a, like a East meets West spectacles like into a Russia or anything like that just because they brought in an American cast. And I think that's very true for Double Vision as well out of Taiwan. It starred, as I said, Hong Kong actor Tony Leung Garfai, often referred to as Big Tony versus uh, Tony Leung Chui of uh, Wong Kawai fame, but um, Tony Leung as as a versatile and veteran actor. It also stars David Morse from the likes of The Rock, Dancer in the Dark, The Green Mile, very uh, accomplished and experienced uh, veteran actor as well, and directed by Chen Kuo Fu, who directed a movie called Peony Pavilion. And he's also the head of the production unit of the Asian branch of Columbia Pictures, meaning that he was probably very involved at that level too, heading this push in this elevated manner meaning we're going to make a movie that's you know a local movie on our own terms and that's not going to be filled with compromise just because there's money coming in from different different places or that there's a huge commercial prospect here here that we need to make 500 million dollars what kind of movie are we going to make well you don't make a media satire like big shots funeral and double vision you don't make it that complicated i guess (laughs) <laughs> you know or or that or that, or that glory for for that matter so i always saw this project as giving filmmakers freedom and a bit more money to make movies of different uh, with different visions attached to them rather than uh, as I said, uh, a couple of more Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragons, but, like, it's copies of copies of copies of copies, which, yeah. Yeah, this Double Vision, that is, was a multi-nominee at the Hong Kong Film Awards, including Best Actor and Screenplay, co-penned by its director, Chen Kuo-Fu. It bagged one award for actress Renee Liu, best supporting actress, but none on the home front in Taiwan. I don't know what it was nominated against that year, but uh, even David Morse was nominated in Taiwan for uh, in the acting category. I'm guessing um, best actor or best supporting actor. And uh, furthermore, the Asian Film Critics Association also awarded Renee Liu for her
1: performance in the movie. Uh, Let's uh, let's do
0: some quick opinion again, and I'll throw over to you, Todd. In short, uh, what did you think of Double Vision?
1: I enjoyed this movie immensely. I really, I loved it. No, I had never seen it before. I'd never heard of it. So it was like a very pleasant surprise. Um, it's just a very well executed, well structured and intelligent thriller of a type that I wish they would make more of in the United States. I mean, I think Hollywood is capable of making movies like this, but they almost never do. And it was a very nice blending of genres, too. I mean, you had... You know, definitely the sort of hard-boiled cop thing, and both the cops, both the cops played by Tony Leung and David Morse have like their you know their troubled background and all that.
0: A lot of cliches come, but not harmful cliches for the movie uh, will will come uh, come to light here.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's a lot of cliches, and it's also like a serial killer movie, um, and it has all those. It it combines a lot of tropes, but I found it combined them in a very satisfying I way. I thoroughly agree. I mean,
0: again, rather than a strained East versus West that would evoke commercialism a more light tone, more accessible tone, it's not terribly difficult, but it's not a fairly commercial, easy popcorn movie. They essentially let the East make their own films, including in this case. And the West is sort of the guest of honor, but uh, you know, performing well, I, I should say. Yeah. And as a serial killer, possibly supernatural mystery... I think it's uh, solid and then some. I think it's uh, it gets better. I've seen it a couple of times. Uh, uh, well produced, performed. Bit tricky towards the end, but I found that uh, if I just uh, fought for once then it <laughs> does make sense but uh, yeah. be warned that the multi-reality ending is going to be a little bit of a tester uh, in this terms of uh, clarity yeah so so yeah as you note that this was if we call it a program the Columbia Pictures Asia push for mm-hmm. uh, to produce movies it might not have generated waves commercially but you got pretty good notices across the board including for double vision so um, I'm very grateful for the movies we did get that they were um, you know re- respectable all across the board including uh, so a, a fun movie movie like so close which is yes. uh, just the uh, undemanding fun action stuff um and with kickass uh, kick-ass and beautiful looking ladies
1: uh, to yeah i love that movie one thing i'll say about this movie is for me it really was in the tradition of um it remind me of uh you know for a while after silence of the lambs There was this wave of serial killer movies, like every season that someone would put out a serial killer thriller. And I was, I love Silence of the Lambs. I think it's a perfect movie. I, and I would get suckered into seeing these movies. I can't even remember. There was like a copycat and you know, and they were never as good. And then there was seven, which arguably was like, you know, I think every one of these. Uh, serial killer movies was either trying to be Silence of the Lamb or Seven.
0: Yeah, it started raining in every damn movie after Seven.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly, and it was just borrowing sort of surface aspects, and it was always just kind of a tease, you know, and I realized the the serial killer genre is really essentially a genre with two movies in it it's silence of the Lam- you know rather than go see copycat or one of these other movies why not just watch silence of the lambs again or if you're a seven fan watch seven again
0: can you believe i got the ending for, for 7 spoiled to me before i watched the damn movie i loved it but <laughs> but someone jokingly said to me like well, like too bad that happened like, yeah right that couldn't have <laughs> happened oh shit <laughs> He was yeah, right. Yeah, that's
1: one you really need to have the ending be a surprise. It's still a
0: kick to the balls, and and yeah, you know, going back to double vision, Chen kuo Fu isn't afraid to kick us in the balls because we got a stillborn baby scene pre credits. People,
1: we sure do. He
0: doesn't mind making it unpretty, and I think that's a great choice for the movie. It looks slick, but it's pretty open with um, its sort of graphic imagery. That um, because a stillborn baby is never fun to see at the top of a movie, you know.
1: And, yeah, the acting in this movie is great. Tony Lung and David Morris, who I think is a really underrated actor, is superb. And also, uh, Renée Liu, I thought, w- was deserving of her award. Now, wasn't she was the wife of Tony Lung's character, but wasn't she always also the medical examiner?
0: Uh, no, I don't think so. There, there, there's a... La- Are you referring to a lattice scene where, um... Uh, I think uh, Tony Long uh, busts in on like uh, this uh, nurse, and she does like uh, the the cross uh, the cross sign against her uh, against her body because she seems uh, deeply religious. So
1: I don't know. I, mean, I don't know why I think she that. she. I
0: I don't think. Uh, um... A profession was ever established uh how you know she seemed like she was a housewife uh in the light of tragedy that connects to their family and trauma connects connecting to their uh, family it seems like she was not a working wife uh at this at this point well i
1: like the idea that she might be also the medical examiner but i guess that's just in my own <laughs> version of this movie in my head i guess
0: yeah yeah well it, it's not a bad angle though it's uh it could have worked but I love Tony Leung, though uh, one of my favorite Hong Kong actors, and his journey from a more boyish actor in the uh, 80s and 90s to a more gritty and bigger-looking actor just open up his repertoire, like you read about. Sir, you know, same year he would make a brooding or a mad role. You know, he was in Johnny Toe's Election, for instance, and he's wild. He could also be very silly in a comedy the same year, acting Super Camp, uh, and uh, Mm -hmm. you know, he did a wonderful movie called Papa Loves You, I mean, almost the same year as as Election, where he's super geeky. And he's Uh he's a wonderful actor. His charisma was super strong, had been for a number of years, but at this point in 2002 it was super strong. I think he... Mm -hmm. uh, embraces the fact that uh, this is cliche territory 101 really but mm-hmm. uh, that's just an observation and not the movie doesn't struggle i think embrace uh, it just embraces the fact that well these are tried stories but why shouldn't we make them why should not well, we well i think like it this? takes
1: a number of tried stories that's i mean i think that's how it makes it work because it 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 embraces the cliches of all of the genres that it encompasses. The, the buddy cop movie, you know, the serial killer movie, the film noir, and then the, the demonic possession movie. All the, all the tropes and cliches are there, but I don't know. It's just, I just found it incredibly satisfying. I mean, it's maybe not like the greatest movie ever made, but it was a great just to, you know, it was just a great watch, you know.
0: I. You know what I think is key, though, uh, in terms of Chen Kuo-Fu's work? Uh, because he introduces, you know, haunting visions of the past for Tony Long. You know, he comes out of the toilet. He sees, but not accompanied by a huge music sting. He sees someone uh, shoots himself in the face, you know, and the window shatters. And all of that is super quiet. Even a gunshot is muffled. Yeah. It's uh, played more real and he's not suffering from hallucinations but it is obviously symbolic of what goes on in his head as he also dons the classic worn cop routine. You know, he's a bit detached it seems like he's a bit introverted he walks around in the same clothes as he probably did five days ago
1: I don't know if they did the refrigerator shot because you know where he opens the refrigerator and there's like a, 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 a you know, a pint of milk and like you know, a beer and an and an orange or a missed something like opportunity. that. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> but it is yeah.
0: always it's how you play the role, is how you direct, it's how you evolve that character and how you you know believe in your particular story. I mean you can do this for ten movies in a row tomorrow and as long as you do a good job then I won't think that's it's boring cliches. But it's certainly that setup, but once you get into the scenario, it's Feels very the, the whole um, the corpses piling up scenario. It gets very like huh, hmm. even that discovery of the icy corpse in the um, in the, the you know the head of the corporation. There's even I love the editing in that scene by the way. There's even Chen Kuo Fu and editors refrains from having a scene where the secretary finds him. Ah
1: shouts, right. he's
0: dead. But rather she pu- starts to. Put her hand on him, we think, but no, yeah. it's a cut to a forensics officer. Cops have already been called, so Chen Kuo Fu is certainly so confident in like we don't need yeah. to simplify it at all. Put an edit in there, they'll get it.
1: Yeah, I think you're right to focus on comp- confidence and competence. That's uh, yeah, the movie definitely has. You feel like you're in good hands.
0: Yeah, very much so.
1: These people know what they're doing, you know, and the and it paid off. I mean, the story totally paid off for me. It was a compelling mystery. They didn't sell it out at the end, you know. They took it to a very interesting and exciting conclusion. I mean, I know I should be more critical of this movie, but I no, really I don't think
0: so. I mean, a good. Uh... I don't know if a uh, uh, app term is like pop entertainment, but it is certainly yes. you can you can ha- you can rent this and have a good time, and it's not like uh, intelligent art this, it but it's damn well executed and engaging for the time you you're spending with it.
1: It's intelligently made, but it's not intellectual.
0: Yes, that's a good that's a good way of sum- summarizing it. You know what? I wanted to um make a little recommendation, I suppose, because uh, I remember Renee Liu had. Prior experience working with Westerners, uh, she in Taiwan, she did a movie in 1995 called Xiao Yu. That's the name of her character, where she plays an immigrant. It's set uh, partly in America. And uh, she co starred, it's directed by Sylvia Chang, um, you know, actor and filmmaker. It's It co starred, if you ever watch Hill Street Blues, there's a character, I don't remember the character he played now, uh, but uh, Daniel J. Travanti is the American actor that uh, co stars in, yeah, uh, in Xiao is. Yu. And I, I thought that was very compa- a compelling meeting of uh, meeting of worlds too. In this, uh, it's essentially like a green card drama kind of thing. So uh, because she's young in that movie, and obviously he's older at that point, so it's a green card drama. But very good, very just plain and natural, rather than uh, artistic and stylish because it means something. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, David Moore's always been compelling to me. His exterior has always been very. He looks like he can play so kind, such kind characters. Yes. His demeanor is soft, and I never thought he could break from that, but obviously he can. You you know the first movie I saw him in was, um, out of all things, it's it's good up until the ending, really. Um, Stephen King's Langoliers, the miniseries. I never saw that one. It, it's good up until the crappy CGI towards the end that uh, pays off that whole uh, uh, whole thing. But he's, he's, uh, he's wonderful in that. Like the negotiator he's in, he's in The Rock.
1: Yeah, he was also uh, in the first X Men movie. He played the senator who was anti mutant, and I think he ends up melting on an operating <laughs> table melting, or something. Yeah, <laughs> he turns into water. But uh, I loved him in Dancer in the Dog as well. Last one three years oh, He plays God. a complete
0: bastard.
1: Yeah, he does. How can he do that to poor Bjork? That was that was a hard movie, man. <laughs>
0: that was uh, not a not an easy easy time. Loved the movie. Uh, not an easy time. Shot, uh, shot uh, not around my horns or anything, but it was shot in Sweden, yo. So.
1: Right, Sweden standing in for Seattle, as I recall. And it looked nothing like Seattle. Well, it's, it's really
0: Lost Von Trier's image of America because he said, I've never been there, so yeah. this is sort of what I think it looks like. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, right, right.
0: So, But, uh, you know, you mentioned body cop uh, formula, but uh, just to clarify to listeners, is it for um, listeners, is it ever comedic?
1: Only in the most wry, you know, sort of deadpan way. But it's very enjoyable when it is, you know. Not, I mean, what do you think? Did you think uh, there was comedy in it? There was,
0: but it was suitable. Because there's yes. little darkly comical observations, you know, the first ride from the airport. By that point, Tony Long has shattered his, uh, his um, left window. So it's uh, like his Volvo is like it's raining outside. Yeah. And um, that's right. And uh, so, David Morse, you know, he notices his bloody knuckles. And uh, at one point, you know, he says, like, Do you want to listen to the radio? Well, to interrupt this wonderful conversation? Well, sure. You know, so he, he's, he's sort of a, he, he can read situations, but he's not a wisecracking character. And,
1: it's not like bada bing, bada boom kind of exactly
0: stuff, yeah. The Richter character is, uh, you know, pretty straightforward character, but he he is not afraid to voice right. and sort of uh, stir the pot a little bit. Uh, you know, he's out of place. Yes, that's the character. That's out of place. He doesn't uh, understand sort of the uh, how the Taiwanese cops interact and how to if he's going to take command of a situation or not, if that's disrespectful or not. But I think right. he sort of gets to a point where. Well, fuck it. You know, know, he just calls them on it. Bullshit. Translate that. That doesn't need translation. Right. Like, let's get to work. Yeah,
1: that was a good moment. That was a a key moment. Yeah, I think the humor in the film derives from character, so it's, you know, which is always the best way. You know, it's not. it doesn't derive from some stand-up comedian coming up with gags to to spice up the script. It's just these little character moments that are, they're kind of wry. You
0: don't hire an actor like, like like him if you if you if that's your intent anyway. So I I, I think their intentions were pretty clear when they sought out him for it. Uh, how do you think in terms of their English interactions? Uh, Tony Long's English, um, you know, uh, someone who's has that as a first language. You know, do you think he's got good in? affliction and can act well in english or what's your take on tony in terms of that
1: yeah i mean i understood everything he said i thought it was appropriate that he had a thick accent Uh, i'm sorry my wife didn't watch this movie because she always has this complaint about movies where there are foreign characters like you know movies spy movies where there are russian characters and you see the russian characters on their own and they're still speaking english she goes that drives her nuts she's like just have them speaking. It, it just tears her out of the the movie, and I kind of understand that. She goes, "Just have them." I, I got
0: one wifey. I got one. Come here. I got one that fulfills right. the criteria. So,
1: yeah, I think she would have liked this movie, except for the gore. That's like uh, that's that's a tough a tough road to hoe for her. But you know, I, th- I I appreciate that too. So and so it was. It just added to the the real. Not that it was like a gritty realist movie, but it it did add to. You know the realism of the movie.
0: I I, I agree. I mean, they, they they throw that in without it being hamfisted. That you're gonna have to look after him because you speak the best English out of any of us. And right. uh, so it's and indeed they never make it unnatural, where he flip-flops between Mandarin and English. And, and Tony, I think, is you know by the sound of it, I think he's fairly confident in Mandarin. Even sometimes Hong Kong actors aren't. I mean, going back to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, so some people say Chai fats Mandarin wasn't necessarily the most natural thing they've ever heard. Uh, you know, he's great in it, but uh, it's not a given that they're comfortable in it. Tony, it just, it's, uh, it sounds like he is, and um, he, he's acted in English movies. Well, yes and no, he did a movie by a French director called The Lover, uh, but he was dubbed! he was uh, by someone else and i thought like hey in 1992 or 3 i think he could have pulled that off and he played a foreign character anyway so boo
1: well at least they didn't go to the the rush hour route and make you know i mean but that's a broad comedy and having you know chris Tucker, can you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth yeah you know that whole shtick they definitely don't do they don't make a gag out of the language difference no you know? it,
0: it, it's observations and it, they move on and uh but still chen Kuo Fu is not pissing his pants to reveal everything to us i think it's a very well-paced spaced out movie in terms of reveals yes. because it's going to be difficult at one point once the explanation starts mm-hmm. you know being put before us and the script demands it i think the expo- exposition dumps they do well enough because at one point they need to start deciphering that diagram, what it means and if there's right. a prophecy attached to all of this, we won't spoil it, but uh, Tony Leung and um, what's the name of the damn actor that I've seen in uh, Ang Lee's uh, movies, it was one of his last movies, uh, who played the uh, Dr. Sheng that uh, helps Tony explain, uh, Lung Shung? when they start to go back and forth back and forth about different kinds of hell, you know, uh, you know uh, disembowelment hell and heart hell and tongue hell that could have been dangerously like too much to take in at one point but I thought the exposition dumps worked quite well I could follow it there's a lot to be taken in but if you just sit there and listen to them perform and read it you're still with the movie
1: yeah I'll admit I had to puzzle it out a little but it you know but I was able to figure it out so you know and there's, that's no re- if someone has to think, that's no reason not to include if us, you know, to make your story a little complex, you know. So someone has to think a little bit to figure it out. So be it.
0: And I think listening to your note about that probably means that Chen Kuo-Fu and his um, co-writer, I mean, it's a movie everybody would want to understand it, but it didn't seem to me like they simplified it. To a, a very like naive degree or anything, it seems right. respectful towards a Taiwanese or or Chinese belief that they want they they want to guard themselves as against evil ghosts and there are spirits out there. We do carry protective talismans and so forth, so it doesn't seem disrespectful towards that, which I kind of appreciated that there, there's uh, yeah you know that 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 talisman has. Um, in his rearview mirror it falls down on the floor at one point while they're driving. He's very keen on picking that up and putting it back into its place. But
1: Right. And at the same time, um Morse's character is not they don't like go into him, like going. Where's the McDonald's? You know they don't do those typical jokes about the, you know the ugly American on foreign soil. You know they don't make them. It's kind of funny and
0: natural. Uh, the whole uh, noodles thing. You know I'm from Texas. I like spicy food. Well, take this. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. Just to call out uh, the, you know the production quality again. Uh, Hong Kong uh, DOP Arthur Wong shot this movie and there's a wonderful but not dissing camera. Tracking shots uh, conceived by Arthur Wong. There was some point in the 2000s, I think, where filmmakers just went astray with style and just made everything unclear. Not even when shooting action, they were just sort of making everything go boom on the soundtrack and the camera was all over the place. But
1: the camera, yeah, the camera just like flying all over the place. Yes. But here,
0: here Arthur makes, you know, he shoots it otherwise calm and straight, but earns some you know, complex tracking shots and uh, dolly shots. And I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's quite wonderful. You know, when it, when they get to the temple in the middle of the movie, there's his chance to show off that big ass set. And, and he does it so well. I mean, you, you admire it, but I think there's an argument for the fact that you might not notice it either.
1: Right, because it's so smooth. And it's, uh, again, it's a very slickly done movie. If you're someone who's turned off by slick uh, movies, maybe this isn't for you, but it's, it's seamless, you know, I think. And that does, and so that, yeah, those things don't call attention to themselves. You know, it's not show offy. It just everything serves the story and the building of tension and the sense of, and the growing sense of mystery and mysticism. That's, yeah, it's so well, so well developed.
0: Without spoiling it, any particular notes on the uh, sort of, um, you know, the scene that probably many remember is the mid movie Temple Massacre. Any particular notes on that?
1: I'm sorry, I don't really have many notes on that. I mean, just for its violence, yeah, that's like when there's, yeah, there's some very jarring. CGI violence in that scene.
0: I've seen worse, though. That's the thing. I was expecting oh, sure. to just puke my guts out because I hate CGI blood. And looking back on this, I thought it was going to look more ropey. To be honest, it looks worse today in new movies. This CGI blood doesn't look good You're by right. the stretch of the imagination. And they, for censorship purposes, it was put in there so they could remove it later too. If censor uh, said, no, no blood, well, no problem, we'll just delete it. But I've seen worse. I've seen so much worse. Like even when this Temple Massacre starts, the first obvious beheading, that's a pure CGI <laughs> shot. It yeah. doesn't look as bad as I expect this shit to look. And they also combine it with some physical effects too throughout this uh, quite extremely gory uh, and messy massacre in the Temple of Devotees.
1: I don't fault the C- CGI in that scene. I mean, I do think everything they did with CGI, they could have done with practical effects, and it would have been better, I guess, but it didn't bother me that no, much.
0: No, I, I expected it to be, you know, I, I just detest it. I, t- I tune out of movies that... Uh, yeah, And I mean, it's a stupid example, but I'm going to say it anyway. I watched this movie, uh, Ninja, a Silent Assassin, uh, starring uh, the Korean uh, pop star actor, Rain.
1: Oh yeah, I haven't and, seen
0: it. And it sort of started out, well, I guess it's a cartoony movie, big on action, but it has some CGI blood, some physical for the first scene. Then the rest of it was a cartoon. But not in a good sense. Just cut and paste blood in, into it, and it doesn't look yeah. uh, convincing. And uh, argues that it should be there at all. So, um, I'm a big believer in that. Um, not not a believer, but I I, I tune out quite uh, quite fast. Uh.
1: That first beheading was a little much because it's in slow motion. Yes. You see him. It's the guy who's being beheaded. You're seeing him from behind. And as his head comes off from his body, it, like, spins around so you can see his face, which just, I mean, that's definitely, it's a gratuitous. But, you know, it was sort of funny.
0: <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, that sequence is quite quick cut even when limbs are cut off that he cuts away you know, at the at the right second, I think, yeah. right. So, so yeah, they might have been like someone underpaid by showing that short slow <laughs> motion, you know. But hey, let's speed it up, guys. I don't really have any other notes because that would we 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 will go into the last thirty minutes of the movie. I'll just say that it's uh, the the multi reality ending is um, very well put together. I was on board with. It, it takes a little bit of um, you know puzzling together to really come to the conclusion what happened there but if you're on board with the movie and what it's building up towards why what these like five different murders what the aim was what the puzzle piece was uh towards the final uh final you know possibly supernatural goal if you will then you're gonna get it i think Uh, just just sit there and uh, read and listen and uh you'll get it and um Chen Kuo-Fu and his writer, they they did something very complex, yes, but it's not abstract, though. I don't think so.
1: It's just a little bit more complicated than you're usually asked to comprehend by, you know, a movie of this type, which is refreshing.
0: It is, and it's possibly like the local touch that they wrote something based on more of a local belief. Coming back to the point that this is not the West dictating how to make this movie necessarily. Uh, you know, Columbia Pictures they encourage filmmakers to be uh, to to produce good product, and if you and it's also for a local audience. You know, because we know we don't have ten American actors and an Asian cast member. You know, it's uh, right. the, the ratio is reversed, and uh, goddamn does it. I, I think it's just I, I'm I'm gonna end my notes with this. I think the fact that they did it this way cost someone I like from Hong Kong cause someone I like from America and how it all comes together I think it's cool I just sort of think it's cool and plus the production is notch, top notch so I just sort of get a giddy giddy feeling of God, I've seen him in Wong Jing movies and I've seen David Morse working with Michael <laughs> Bay in last one trier and they're in a the movie that's cool
1: that is cool yeah I, th- I think I t- I I kind of took off my critic had at one point during this movie and i said i just want to watch this as a fan and uh you know because i don't really have a lot of notes on it i just because i just it was so enjoyable i just wanted to just take it in so needless to say i recommend it
0: that's how movies are supposed to work you're gonna let it wash wash over you you know and not uh, and not worry sometimes and uh, hey that's a perfect attitude my friend uh okay As for availability, uh, Columbia did put out the respectable DVD in Hong Kong subsequent to its cinema run in Asia. It features both the R-rated and unrated versions of the film. And to the best of my knowledge, in terms of disc releases anyway, this is the only way to watch the substantially more gory version of the film. Uh, It has some extended scenes early on in the movie. There's a big scene where the colleagues of Tony Leung's character are beating up these uh, young rapists. So, you know, it's a big old police brutality scene, and they're they're beating them up, not because they think it's cool, because they just did a heinous thing, and they can't control their emotions. That's not in the R-rated version.
1: Yeah, that probably would not fly in America at this present time. (laughs) Right,
0: right. Yeah, maybe so, because it's a three-four-minute sequence there. You you get introduced to Leon Dye's character a little bit earlier at that point. Um, Tony Long's only friend left in the department, essentially. Um, but uh, it also has a more gore during the Temple Massacre, and also the ending text that appears after the last frame. Of uh, that's it's essentially the same, but the R-rated version has a little, it's a bit more simplified, and the unrated version essentially has a poem on screen there right. saying the same thing. Uh, and I thought too, both of them worked worked fine. Uh, that's uh, it's not it's not like well, put it in the R-rated version for stupid people. It's just a choice they <laughs> made, you know, and uh, yeah. I, I like the unrated version more because I it, it's a sort of four-part four-line poem. It says mm. love this and this and this. Love yeah. this and this and this. And, it, it, you know, the the writing is good. <laughs> so, uh, the US DVD that came out, uh, it had the R-rated version only, and uh, but as you alluded to, you watched it uh, streaming on Amazon, and it seems like, based on your observations, that the streaming version is the unrated version because it has the police brutality and, uh, And the uh, the gore and stuff. So uh, the iTunes version, I I looked it up. It says R-rated, but it matches the running time for the unrated version. So Uh it's a crapshoot what it is uh, that iTunes holds. But that's your way to see it in HD currently, because I couldn't find a Blu-ray release of of the movie. Uh, But if you want the R-rated version of disc, it's cheap enough to buy. And uh, Because the the old Hong Kong DVD and the Asian DVD, that's harder to find. So uh, even if you only get the R-rated version, that's not uh, a bad trade-off or anything. It's the same movie really. It really is the same movie.
1: Yeah, I mean there's nothing substantive that's changed. No,
0: no exactly. I mean the the temple massacre is there. There's even uh exclusive footage to the R-rated version there when they discover the the massacre. There's a quite apparently quite a long like tracking shot in the R-rated version only of the massacre and the unrated one sort of just stays on. The faces of the cops that break through the elevator. So uh, there's some exclusive stuff, I suppose. That's a quirky selection we had for you in this episode. But uh, hey, why not? Why not? So uh, why not?
1: Yeah, and I mean both enjoyable films in very different ways. But uh, I enjoyed watching both these movies. It was a and it was a pleasure to talk about them with
0: Excellent. you. I thoroughly agree. And uh, I don't have anything else to announce other than I, I might as well ask you. I'm prepared here. We we've talked of uh, these. Um, taiwanese tokusatsu movies that were a mixture of older japanese footage and newly shot taiwanese footage um Marsman, super riders against the devils which is uh, one of two at least two movies that essentially is Cayman rider but in taiwan so i thought like there's some context to that including for Mossman, man uh, a story that you know very well uh, in terms of uh what happened when Thailand and Japan got together and made the source movie that's in Moss man. <laughs> so, so, so I don't know. I want to cover that eventually. So I'm just going to d- dump that. I think
1: f- we should, because it's a very, very interesting story and one that I'm really familiar with, so I'm very comfortable talking about it, because I did one piece for Teleport City where I did really exhaustive <laughs> research. Well, no wonder, because that story
0: lasted for decades about the... Essentially, essentially, it's the rights to Ultraman who holds it and who yes. doesn't hold it because a Thai producer or director went in there and stirred the pot a little bit after a co-production happened. Um, yes. which uh, Which is the connection to Mossman eventually. But Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it because I've seen that recently. Super Riders Against the Devil, I'm a great fan of because it's just uh, kooky men in suits sort of stuff. Yeah, they're
1: fun <laughs> movies. They're, you know, despite, like, some of the unpleasantries uh, behind them, you know, they're, the movies themselves are, are pretty fun and enjoyable. I mean, how can they not be? You know, <laughs> I mean, I just love, you know, anything that has, like, you know, a superhero, giant superheroes in rubber costumes fighting Monsters. for some
0: reason looking like like crabs and octopi and uh <laughs> yes. and for no reason really they don't like shoot and lasers out of their their tentacles and shit they just are monsters and and that, that that's what you have like and they they fight now and uh
1: so okay i'm i'm on board i'm on board i had something i wanted to say too before we close which is a little off topic but uh I assume we have an international audience uh, of some of some sort, so I just wanted to say to you people outside of the United States that um, there are good people here, and we're not all voting for Donald Trump. I don't know anybody who is voting for Donald Trump, so I just wanted to assure you all that we're doing our best to make sure that he doesn't become president of our country.
0: Amber, and believe me, that's not. Exclusively American. We have a political climate that's not that's very right leaning right now, and it isn't pretty. So, uh, I mean, I know enough, but not enough at the same time that uh, that that you 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 are now facing two candidates that are not through that that are not through and through popular. There's a lot of hate surrounding it, but I I think I've come to the the firm conclusion that if you're gonna pick something. Pick something that's that's the lesser of two evils, and, and at l- and at least appears somewhat competent on the surface, and then deal with something else in four years.
1: Yeah, this is yeah, this is the ultimate example of choosing the lesser of two evils and that's pretty much what our electoral system has come to
0: All righty, let's uh, finish this one off buddy uh, enjoyable convo and uh, it was enjoyable convo on the very show that's called Taiwan War and we are on podcastonfire.com make your choices in the right sidebar in terms of what show you want to listen to other than Taiwan War we got uh, plenty of uh, discussion over there we do bonus episodes every now and again we have an email address send us feedback if you have any requests of so Taiwanese movies you'd like to hear discussed on the show and hopefully we can find them that's podcastonfire at googlemail.com Follow the handy and colorful buttons at the top of our website to our social media such as Facebook, Twitter. If you're an iTunes user, there's a link to our feed so you can subscribe to it, leave a star rating for the show or any other show on the network and a written comment would be very much appreciated. And you can also stream us on Stitcher Radio either on their website or the applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play is there for you to uh, to stream us on the go. And I write about Taiwanese movies and Hong Kong movies and a variety of in a variety of uh, different different uh, genres over at sogoodreviews.com i review uh, a variety of uh, movies uh, bite-sized uh, spoken audio reviews uh, are available on sleazykvideo.com and i tweet at at sogoodreviews forty k. my friend any uh any uh any particular plugging uh, any specific plugging you want to do uh, like a, if, if they go to your site what, what's the um, what's the sort of, a, like, check this out, then you'll know what this site is about. Like, uh, do you have a review that's... that's like, I'm trying
1: uh, to... Re- I've written so much recently. I'm actually just going to go to the site and see. I'm trying to remember what's what What's the most last...
0: popular style of, re- type of review, you think? Like, uh, what do people gravitate towards? Like, is it sleazy stuff or is it crazy yeah, stuff? Yeah,
1: it's sleazy stuff. Of course. Uh, it, when... Uh, I've written about every kind of movie, but... When I look at my top rated, my most visited reviews, they're almost all of like trashy Pakistani horror movies. There's a huge audience for that out there. And then things like Bruce Lee versus Gay Power, anything kind of salacious. It's the internet. (laughs) Where was that made?
0: Where was that that
1: made? Oh, that was made in Brazil. Really? And it doesn't really live down to its title.
0: Is it uh is it as horrible as it sounds? Is he fighting homosexuals or what's going on?
1: Kinda. It's 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 complicated. So <laughs> it's, complicated. Uh, can, oh, it's so...
0: complicated. You should know these things definitely.
1: <laughs> uh can is you know, it's Brazil, what Sorry. can I say? Actually the last two films I reviewed were films that I saw at Fantastic Fest. One is a film called Fraud from the united states very interesting film this guy took a bunch of youtube footage of this family he found this uh middle class family that just films everything they do and and put it up on youtube so he took a bunch of their footage and he edited it together and fashioned it into a story uh, sort of a crime story i know as i say in the review it's a cliche to say this movie is going to make you think about the way you watch movies but it does and it's definitely worth seeing and then of course i reviewed the movie about the the thai dwarves fighting the uh krasu demons which is called the dwarves might must be crazy aka krasu Kruung khan yeah so like the, the most recent posts are all kind of recaps of fantastic fest And then I write about music sometimes for uh, Teleport City, and I wrote a really in-depth article about this band called The Quick, which is a very little-known Los Angeles band from the late 70s. Um, And I actually talked to the drummer. I don't usually do interviews as research, but I tracked the drummer down. We had a really nice conversation, and he gave me a lot of really – Details that really fleshed out the articles. That's over on Teleport City, teleport-city.com.
0: All right, buddy. Thanks for taking part. Once again, I will see you for the next episode. Hopefully, we're around by then. So it's good. probably
1: going to be after the election. You're right. Well, we'll maybe chat about that a little too, or maybe not.
0: So I've been Kenny Began with me. Was Todd Statman, so you got to sign off uh, all to yourself now.
1: All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you on the next Taiwan War.